Hey everyone, you may have noticed a issue with my audio quality in my last episode as well as in this one. I just wanted to let you all know that I am aware of it and I am working to get it sorted out. Uh, if you want to kind of learn more about what's going on, stick around after the end of the episode and I'll get a little more in depth on what's happening there. In the meantime, enjoy this one. By the end of this episode, you should be able to better understand how to evaluate your beliefs and the beliefs of others, or you might just have an existential crisis. Either way, this should be a fun one. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to encourage Christians to understand why they do what they do and why they believe what they believe so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. In this episode, I want to share five questions that I ask when I am evaluating another worldview or another religion and understanding what people believe about life and the universe. Now, this is going to have sort of three benefits for us as people if we are willing to take time to not just understand why these questions exist, but how to apply them in getting to know others. First of all, it's going to help us better understand our own beliefs because it's going to make sure that we are consistent with what we're believing. If we believe one thing about the origins of the universe, that should help inform what we believe about ourselves. Number two, it's going to help us better understand how to talk to other people and not just make caricatures and, and kind of cartoon characters of a belief system, but instead get to know the real human beings and why they are living their lives in a way that, that follows the pattern of a religion or a worldview. And third, it's going to help us share the gospel. Because if we know why people believe what they believe, we can help them see how Jesus Christ offers a better answer to whatever it is that they may be believing. And that is because Jesus Christ is the only truth worth pursuing. And so as Christians, you know, we don't want to just learn stuff to be intelligent or to be able to win in a debate. Ultimately, we want to be able to share the gospel with people. And that can be done at any time, whether we understand what someone believes or not. But the more we understand how someone thinks, the more that we can be effective and personal as we are talking to them about the truth of Jesus Christ. Is an example of what I mean by that before we really get started, is if you have someone who thinks that everyone goes to heaven, you're going to share the gospel with them in a way that talks about the law of God and what it is why God cares about what we do, and why he holds people in judgment for breaking his law. Now, if you have someone else who believes that we go to heaven by being good people or by following a certain religion's codes, then you're going to have a totally different conversation with them because they already know that there is a law of God if they're following a, a Christian type of, of thinking or, or even Jewish type of thinking. But, you know, if you have someone who is thinking that, you know, salvation is a workspace thing that we earn our way to heaven, then you're not going to really talk to them about, you know, oh, you know, the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of men because they're going to give you a high five and say, yeah, I know. Amen. But if we talk to them about grace, if we talk to them about their inability to save themselves, to do any good on their own apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and how Jesus Christ alone is what saves us. That's that kind of conversation we're going to have with them, and that's going to make more sense when we understand how this person thinks versus the other person who thinks that salvation is just kind of a gift from God because God is a, a cuddly teddy bear. 
So that is why these, these questions are going to matter and why I want to make this episode is because it's important for us to try to understand people in a way that we remember that they are image bearers of God believing something about the world and that belief is dictating where they are going today in life and it's going to dictate where they think they might be going in the afterlife and ultimately that controls where they are actually going when their life is over. And I want to just reinforce this by reminding us what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. So I'm just going to read word for word the first and last verses and give a little bit of commentary on the in-between. So in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. So here Paul's talking about that because he can do whatever he wants, he has freedom in Christ. He has chosen to submit himself to the service of Jesus Christ by going to those who need to hear the gospel. And then this is where he goes on and he talks about, to the Jews I became a Jew, to a Gentile I became a Gentile, to those without the law I became as someone without the law. Understanding that Paul didn't become a Jew, he didn't become like a Gentile, he didn't live lawlessly. Instead, what we see is that he understood these people that he went to to share the gospel, and he did it for the express purpose of sharing the gospel. And that is what he says in verse 23. He says, I do all things. In other words, he did all of this. He, you know, learned how to think like a Jew. He understood what they believed and were currently believing. He learned how Gentiles think. He learned like what those without the law and how they thought. He did all of this, he said, for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And so as we are kind of thinking about these questions and how to understand people who are not like us, who don't agree with us, the goal isn't for us to be smarter, to learn how to win more debates, to be impressive, to beat down someone with our truth. Our goal ultimately should be for the continuance and furtheration of the gospel and of the spiritual growth of other people. Because sometimes when we understand another religion, we might be able to tell them about Jesus Christ and lead them to the cross. Sometimes it might be a situation of, you know, where Paul talks about how I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You know, so we may be the ones who are planting the seed that God will grow later with someone else. Or, going beyond just the need of gospel for salvation, we might, by understanding how someone thinks, you know, how a worldview or a religion works and operates, we can help someone in their own spiritual growth. Because, as we all know, when we first get saved— our old way of thinking is is not just completely done away with, and now we have all truth revealed and we can just live perfect, error-free lives. We know that a lot of that old holdover, all that stuff that we thought we knew about the world, is slowly being replaced by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he was given to us by Jesus Christ at the moment of salvation. But we're not there yet. And so by us understanding, you know, how to talk and relate to a former Muslim or a former Roman Catholic or a former atheist, we are going to be able to not just, you know, love them by caring enough about them to know what it is that they came out of, but we can see where they may still be holding on to a wrong way of thinking, maybe without even knowing it, because Christianity, at the end of the day, will ultimately completely replace almost everything we think we know about life because we go from a state of being, you know, a mind that is in love with the world to being a heart and a mind that is in love with Jesus Christ. And those are completely different worldviews that we 
don't really realize how different they are until we keep growing, realizing, wow, I can't believe I used to think that. Wow, how could I have been so blind? That's where we all have been, and that is where other people are. And so by understanding how to talk to people and know what they're coming out of, we can better serve them, just like Paul did, by knowing who they are and what they have believed so that we can help them learn what is really true. So let's get into these five questions. And each of them, they're not really original to me. These are just what I have seen kind of bouncing around, you know, the big questions about life that people ask and things like that. And these are the ones that I like because they really get at the heart of a person's entire worldview. What we believe about the first question is going to impact what we think about the third question. And that has to lead to how we answer the final question. So in order for this not to just be theory, what I want to do is kind of a groundwork episode where I want to use this to talk about further religions in the future and just be able to point people back and say, if you want to know why I'm asking these questions, here's, here's an episode to check out. But in order for this not to just be pure theory and not super useful, let's, uh, what I want to do is use atheism as an example, because while atheism is a complicated thing in terms of all the worldviews out there, it is fairly straightforward because it is very natural based you know, it's, there's no spiritual aspect to it. There's no real religious text to it. We're going to use atheism and, and talk very briefly and at a very surface level about how they might answer each of these five questions. And then from there, we can build out a full worldview of atheism, what they have to believe about the world, and then talk about how we might use these to share the gospel with someone who is an atheist. Now, the first question to talk about is, why is there something instead of nothing? Because unless you believe that the universe is eternal, and uh, if you're curious why the universe can't have always existed, I'll put a link down in the show notes. It is my second article that I wrote about Mormonism, and in there I share why an eternal universe simply can't work. But assuming that we believe that the universe had some form of beginning, what this question gets at is how did it begin, why did it begin, and did someone or something start it. Because whether it's religious or whether it's an atheistic worldview, we have to believe that something, right, some event at the very least, kickstarted everything that we see today. Now, the question, of course, is who or what started it? You know, a lot of times, you know, in most religions, it's going to be a higher power. In other things, it might just be a chance freak accident. Maybe it's a blending of the two where an intelligence kind of rolled the dice and here's kind of what popped out. It could be something totally different. It could be that this is all just a dream. You know, we are some other higher beings consciousness kind of playing out and we don't have any control over us. You know, we are just in a very detailed and long dream. But with all of those, they all have to dial back to time starting at the zero minute, zero second starter, right? Even if, even if we're a dream of another being, where did that being come from? When did they begin? Who made them? All of this dials back and we have to say, okay, how did matter first begin? How did the space that matter exists in first begin? Because, you know, kind of basic science is that everything in the universe is, is made up of matter. And then we have the space that it moves around in. And then we have Time is another element, which means that things go from one moment 
to the next moment and are still there. That's how things exist. So how did the clock start? Where did this stuff come from and, and what created the space for all of it to occur in? Now, this question and how we answer it actually has a huge amount of influence over how we answer the rest of the questions because what we, we believe about our origins determines what we're doing now and why we're doing it. And if there is some form of afterlife, whatever started the universe is going to have some influence or some control over what comes next. Now within atheism, everything is random. There is no higher purpose. There is no greater reason that things started. Whatever explanation an atheist might give, whether it's the Big Bang, whether it's maybe a newer theory, even if they just say, I don't fully know, ultimately it comes down to something happened, something random, something that no one had any control over, and there was no matter, there was no space for matter to exist in, but then suddenly there was. Something happened, the universe started expanding or whatever, it just popped into existence, whatever explanation we want to give, and that is how stuff began and then we are fortunate in that one of those rocks kind of hurtling out there in space managed to kind of get caught in the gravity field of a star at a certain distance to where it wasn't too far that we would freeze too close that we would burn up our atmosphere happened to be fortunate enough that it wasn't so thick that it would superheat us or so thin you know just get too cold because it wouldn't trap heat in you know we were fortunate that in, a call, in, in all these dice randomly rolling all throughout the universe, we hit the lucky break of having one of those rocks, at least, maybe there's more, but at least one of those rocks in the universe was able to sustain life, and that life was able to develop and evolve and get to a point where we are now, where we have a consciousness and can think about things and do things that nothing else can. And that's how atheists would answer why is there something instead of nothing? It's random, who knows, and who cares? Now, the second question that we want to ask is, how do we know what is true? And this is important because everyone out there whole, uh, you know, comes to a worldview or religion ultimately because they are seeking some form of truth. Whether it is because they were born into this thing and that is just what they are told to believe is true, whether they are lost in searching and something grabs their attention or they, they gravitate towards something because it has something they're looking for, all worldviews, all religions are offering truth. So the question we want to ask is, what source do they use for their truth and how do we know that it is trustworthy or how do we know that anything is true? Because in, you know, in Christianity and in most religions we have some kind of religious text or a deity or a teaching system that kind of tells us what to do, what to think, right? In, in a very basic sense, we don't come up with our own beliefs. We don't just, just do what we think is right. Hopefully not. You know, if we're honest, that's a totally different conversation. But ideally, we don't just do whatever, right? We, we try to pattern our behavior under the authority of something, and even those who don't have a deity or something, they all have a power. They have a source of truth that they go to for questions and that they submit to when they're not sure what to do. Now, why this matters, and, and, you know, and I'll talk about two extreme ways that this matters on why it's important that we know where we're getting our truth and that we, that we think it's trustworthy. 
Now, the first extreme I want to talk about is in terms of cults, because cults thrive on those who are looking for truth but don't know where to go for it. Because any cult out there, they are the ones that not just have the answers, but they tend to have this secret knowledge, this new way of thinking, this, this understanding of the world or of truth or of especially the Bible that no one before has ever had. And, you know, these mainstream people, you know, popular culture, you know, the, the normal people, whatever it is, they they are blind sheep. You know, that's a very popular one. You know, everyone is blind except for us here. And so what these cults will then do is they will use that truth, not just to teach people, because again, every worldview, every belief system has a truth that they are teaching those who are under it. That's, that's the whole point. But what they will do is they will use that truth to control the people following them. They will say, if you question us, then you are doubting the truth and you are not part of us. We are going to remove you. There's no room for doubt. If you leave us, then you are walking away from the truth and you will be lost. You will not be one of us. And so often a small group will control and dictate someone's salvation, maybe for lack of a better term, you know, whatever security they have within that belief system is going to be removed from them if they leave it or even question it, you know, because then they can be forcibly removed and have, have their, their status stripped from them. Now, again, all religions, all belief systems have this idea of if you aren't believing our truth, then what are you doing? Right? I mean, Christianity, you know, Judaism, whatever religion it is, you know, religions out there, they they all come down to, we have the truth. If you want to know the truth, here it is. The question comes, is truth being used to serve people or is it being used to control people? Now, on the complete opposite end of that, maybe, is if we aren't sure about where we go for a source of truth and especially why we believe that it is our highest source of truth and, and if we don't understand how we're supposed to value it or understand it, then what we'll often do is we'll go shopping for truth. And by that, I mean that I've, you know, I've seen in my life Christians who they like Christianity and they kind of fall into the big umbrella of Christianity, but they also kind of like these little, little bits of Buddhism over here. They like this little bit of, you know, Eastern meditation over here, or, you know, the Catholics kind of have a cool idea here. And so they will make this amalgamation and they will say, I like what all these things say. So I'm going to shove it into a worldview and call this truth. The problem with that comes that things then become wildly inconsistent in their beliefs because the things just aren't compatible when you're looking at it from a bigger perspective and trying to say, okay, why do you believe this? Well, how do you handle it with this situation and things like that? Another issue we come to, and I see this again in Christianity, is that people want to stay within the authority of the Bible, right? Everything they say, everything they do, everything they think, is they're wanting it to align with the Bible, but... In parts of the Bible where maybe there's some interpretation, maybe, you know, two good people might disagree on how they understand it. What they want to do is not ultimately follow what is obviously true or, or true in a bigger sense. What they want to do is say, okay, well, this person is saying what I want to already believe. So I'm going to follow them and say that what they are saying is true. Not because I'm necessarily convinced, but because it's speaking to the desires and it's giving me reinforcement or validation for what I was already hoping to walk away with as it is. And so this is why it's important for us to know where our truth comes from, because it, it impacts every aspect of our lives, everything we do and think. Now with an atheism, again, everything started randomly. Everything is just sort of like, you know, open up to, to chance and hoping that things go well. 
So with atheism, there really is no source of truth. Truth is relative because at the end of the day, Christians and, and even most other religions, really, they say, you know, we may be incapable of knowing the truth for ourselves, but we have a higher source that we can call to that is absolute in the truth that this person or this thing gives us. But within atheism, they don't have that because the highest intelligence we have is us. We're as good as it gets, if you even think we're that good. And so within atheism, where do they go for truth? Well, what I think is true is true for me. And what you think is true is true for you. Because we can't test it against anything else. We can't hold it up to a higher standard to see what is true and what is false. So at the end of the day, all we can do is say, you know, as long as you aren't hurting someone with your truth and I'm not hurting someone with my truth, then we can both just say that we are equally valid, equally truthful in what we're believing. Now, question number three that we want to ask when evaluating a worldview is, what is our purpose? Why are we here in this life? And how we answer that is often going to guide everything that we're doing. Now, often we'll find our purpose from our source of truth, right? We're, we're seeing here how all this kind of builds into itself. But what we believe we are meant to do with our lives is going to dictate everything that we do with our life, hopefully. Some days may be better than others, but for a long-standing kind of pattern that we may set, where we are going in life is controlled by where we think we're supposed to go. So if we think that our purpose is to be really successful and earn a lot of money and let, have kind of an easy or wealthy life, then ideally what we're going to do is follow that belief and work hard. We're going to, you know, maybe go to college, maybe go, you know, get some training. We're going to do whatever it takes for us to fulfill the purpose we believe we have with our lives. If we think the point of our lives is just to be entertained and relax, then we are going to do as much as we can to avoid anything that would detract from that purpose. So we're not going to work really hard. We're not going to, you know, kind of kill ourselves over studying and learning and, and working really hard and rising up in a company because that's not fun. That's not pleasurable. That's not enjoyable right now. Now, within a religious context, if our our purpose is to gain enlightenment or gain freedom from, you know, kind of the confines of the, of the worldly existence and, and find freedom from stuff and materialism, then the things we do, the things we say, the things that we spend our time on are going to invest in what our purpose is. Now, today, this is kind of an interesting thing to talk to people about because a lot of people don't really know what our purpose is. They're just kind of like going through the motions, hoping they're figuring it out. But what ends up happening, and we even see this as Christians who are pretty confident that we know our purpose in life. And if you're not sure, I will link one of my podcast episodes down in the show notes so you can find that one and see what God's purpose for your life is. But, you know, in, in today's society, we don't really know what our purpose is. We're not, we're not driven towards something. So what we often end up doing is we are very busy for no real purpose. We, we are constantly on our phones, we're on social media, we're taking pictures, we're, we're constantly doing things, but it's not going anywhere, it's not leading us to anything. And so, you know, a lot of people will hit this point where they're like, what am I doing with my life? What is the point of all this? You know, what is the purpose of anything? And so if you wonder why people are so depressed, why people feel so hopeless, why there's a lot of anxiety, that kind of feeds into it in that we either know our purpose and don't know what to do about it, or we have no idea what our purpose is, and we feel like we're just wasting our life. And what our purpose is can often be a terrifying question, because we know that, that our purpose should 
should, should bring us some kind of satisfaction, some kind of fulfillment. And so we are constantly trying to find things to, to fill that void that we feel because we need, we, we know that we need to have a meaning in life. We know that we aren't just meant to be like a tree that grows until it stops growing and then it dies and rots away. We want there to be more to our life than this. You know, we want to leave a legacy. We want our suffering in this life to be worthwhile. We want all of our experiences to mean something beyond us just dying and everything that we've done in this world eventually fading away. We want to have a purpose. We want to have a meaning. And when we don't, it terrifies us. And a lot of times, even when we find that meaning, it's not ultimately satisfying for us. And so this is why answering the question, why was I put here? What am I supposed to be doing is critical because this gets at, you know, if truth is kind of the big question of, you know, how do you know what to do in life? Our purpose is that very personal thing that gets us out of bed every day, that makes us you know, invest in our family, that makes us go to our jobs, that makes us not drive 120 miles in a school zone. You know, there's there's this picture that we want to craft of ourselves. There's something that we want to attain to. There's some way that we want to go or something we want to be. And all of that is wrapped up in what our purpose is. Now, within atheism, we don't have a purpose. Atheists might try to find a purpose for our life, you know, and, and they may say, you know, our purpose is pleasure, you know, just have the most fun you can. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a choose your own adventure book within atheism because there is no real purpose. There is no, there's no higher truth that guides you. So there's no higher truth telling you what your purpose is. There's nothing that says why you're even here on this earth. You are an accident. You're, you're a freak that happened to just spawn out of another living being and have made it this far. And you got to just keep on going and hoping that you're not too miserable and that you don't cause too much suffering before you eventually die. You know, and that's, that's a very negative view of, of atheism. And I don't you know, want to paint atheists as these you know, dark and brooding people because a lot of times within atheism, what you'll actually see is because they realize that there is no one telling us what to do, then we just need to make the best of it that we can. And so we try to find things that really interest us and we try to be our best selves and we try to, to, you know, benefit the world positively so that even though we don't get to enjoy it, our, our future generations, our legacies get to live on past us. And hopefully they will remember us, whether it's through a park bench or in a history book, or just, you know, our families passing down stories about us. We hope that even though we don't have a purpose, that we have at least served some purpose in this world. And so that's why there's a lot of times within atheism, there's kind of this big push on the group, you know, whether it's serving your family or your friends, whether it's being a good member of your community, whether it's crafting the right society, or whether it's saving the world from, you know, whether it's natural causes or whether it's people, you know, atheism, because they don't have anything they're going for, they oftentimes kind of shoot for the stars, really. And they try to just get the most out of it for themselves and then give the most that they can to the world. Now, not always, and maybe not even often, but that is where that worldview leads and that is how they will find their purposes. Ultimately, there is no purpose, but as Christians, we would see that because they have, you know, they are made in the image of God, they are still drawn towards some kind of good, doing some kind of right. You know, not enough that it's going to please God, not enough that it's going to satisfy his wrath, but they inherently know that we should be doing good in a way that whether they like it or not, or whether they realize it or not, oftentimes it lines up with what the character of God would have us as, as people do. Now, question number four that we might ask is what is right and wrong? How do we know what is right? How do we know what is wrong? 
Now, this might sound very similar to, well, what is truth? But this is more of an offshoot. Just like our purpose comes from where we get our truth, how we understand right and wrong is also going to come from where we get our truth. So what it boils down to is how do we know what is the right thing to do? When we're faced with a situation, there we can choose to do one thing or another. How do we know which one's right? How do we know which one's wrong? And how do we prove either one? And now what that means then is that our actions will filter through this question, right? The things that we that we think about good and evil filter through what our truth says is right and what our truth says is wrong or evil. And so, again, as always, all belief systems are going to have these guidelines. Sometimes it will be through a deity, a religious text. Uh, it may be through just the society and whatever my group says is right and wrong is what we will go with. But whatever it is, what's really interesting about this question is that morality, right and wrong, in any belief system are always going to be, to some degree, at its most basic level, an absolute thing. Meaning that there are some things that are absolutely and always right, some things that are absolutely and always wrong. Now, the right things are pretty easy, right? Because we just inherently know that being nice to others, to, to being generous and things like that, those are always going to be right. But what's weird is that whatever your belief is, you're always going to say, no, there are some things that you just can't do. It doesn't matter about the context. It doesn't matter about, you know, truth being relative. There are just some things that we just have to say we just can't do. And a lot of times that will be in how we are interacting with one another. So, you know, hurting, purposely hurting someone with no real benefit. You know, we're not talking about a doctor, you know, breaking a bone to fix a bone. We're talking about just hurting someone for personal gain is always wrong, right? It is objectively wrong to hurt another person. It is objectively wrong to force someone to suffer, maybe not through physical pain, but through, you know, policies or our actions to cause suffering, needless suffering in another person's life with no higher benefit to them. You know, so, so acting on others for selfish reasons ultimately is seen as an ultimate evil in really any worldview that we can possibly find out there. Now we can find some corner cases always, but at the end of the day, we know that there, there are always absolute wrongs, things you absolutely cannot do in any belief system, whether there's a God in it or not. So now what does this mean for atheism then? Because we just talked about with the truth question, there is no absolute truth. Truth is an opinion. Truth is just something that as long as we don't hurt each other, we're fine. Well, they would say that on one hand, morality is contextual, meaning that it depends on where you're at. So eating pork is morally wrong in some settings, right? Depending on your religion, eating pork is morally wrong, but for other people, it's fine. And so that's kind of how they would go about it is whatever, you know, within your society, within your group, if they say it's wrong and it's not, you know, it's not breaking one of these absolute things, then it's wrong because they have to say that, because to say otherwise is to say, no, there are absolute truths of what you can and can't do. But then, within atheism, you also have to say there are absolute rights and, abs and especially absolute wrongs. And we're seeing that a lot in our society today, where people are finding wrongs everywhere and saying, you know, this, you know, all of these things are wrong. You know, we need to just completely reset everything. And the problem is that within atheism, you don't have a higher standard to hold things to, to say, no, see, this isn't right because it doesn't meet a certain standard. You know, within Christianity, our standard is God in the word that he gives us. And so we know what is right and wrong 
based on how it measures up, right? How it compares to the the lawgiver, to the to the our source, our 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 perfect image, if you will, of good, you know, in God and Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we know what good is by how it compares to them or through the word that God gives us. But within atheism, they don't have a higher deity. They don't have anything higher than ourselves to say what is right and wrong. And so on one hand, they really struggle with this question if they're being honest because they can't prove that something is wrong because there's no one, there's no authority to appeal to to say, yes, that's right. They haven't met these standards, so this is wrong. And so within atheism, you know, at the end of the day, it's often a collective belief within a group that says, this group is right, they say this is wrong, and so we are all going to agree that it's wrong. And then at the end of the day, we just have to hope that that group finds itself on the right side of history. You know, anytime we study history, you've always got two, at least two competing ideas on what's right and what's wrong and how the world should be run, on how people should behave, and things like that. And, you know, history, they say, is written by the winners, but what we have to ask is, just because they won, does that mean they are right? And so, in whatever time we find ourselves, right, whatever day of the year it is, we are always in some kind of battle in this world over what is, you know, what group is right, what group is wrong, and both groups, at the end of the day, are hoping that they find themselves on the right side of history. Because within an atheistic mindset, all you can do is hope that you really are right, that your brain chemicals are working in such a way to lead you to a truth that is truly true and truly right. And then the final question to talk about is, what happens when we die? And this is the one that really keeps people up at night because unless you are fully sold out to the idea that everything just ends, you have to ask yourself, there are, you know, hundreds, thousands of beliefs out there that say, do this so that you can have this eternity, so that you can, your afterlife can look like this. And we find ourselves saying, am I really right? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing to, to, to get the ending that I desire? You know, am I following the right religion With, within, you know, if I'm following a Christian religion, am I following the right one? Am I doing all the right things? Am I doing too much and maybe, you know, being prideful and having that forfeit my eternal destiny? You know, there are so many what ifs about the end of our life and all belief systems are basically telling us because of where everything started, here's what is true. You know, here's our source of truth. Because of what truth is, here's how you should behave and here's how you should live your life and what you should, you know, pursue. And how you do those things in this life is going to impact what happens when you die. So whether you, you know, are reincarnated, whether you, you know, attain another level of existence, whether you go to some form of a heaven, whatever this religion is teaching, they're telling you that what you do in this life is investing in the future. And it's terrifying because we worry that, you know, at the most basic level, you know, when we die this is it for this current life. So if we've lived a good life, we no longer get to enjoy it. If we've lived a bad life, then what was even the point of all this? But then we have to hope that whatever happened in this life is going to matter later on, that we've done the right things with this limited time that we have. And so that's why I said at the start of this that, you know, this last question is kind of a capstone, right? Where we began dictates where we end. You know, what we do in this life matters for what comes next. 
in most belief systems. And so understanding what someone believes about the end of their life helps us to understand why they are doing what they're doing today. Now within atheism, of course, just as we've seen, what they believe about the end of the life has to be a natural consequence of what they believe about everything else. If we started with, with you know, no intention behind it, if everything is just physical and material, if life is kind of random and we just do our best in it, then when we die, that just has to be it. When our brain stops, we stop. And that's all there is to it within atheism. So that's all well and good, right? That, that gives us a good framework to understand how people think, what they believe and things like that, right? We can get, we can become very cultured and very well, you know, well-read and well-versed on all the different religions out there. And as I said, we need to ask ourselves, so what? Why bother doing this? What is the value of it? And at the end of the day, we need to be understanding these questions, one, so we can understand what we believe and why we believe it, but also it helps us to share the gospel with others by knowing what they believe and why they believe it. So, so what these questions will then do is not for us to be able to tell someone what they believe, but it can guide our discussions as we are talking to them about life and maybe even more directly sharing the gospel with them. So for example, is someone working for their afterlife? Is life all about just themselves and what they get out of it? Is life completely meaningless and hopeless and it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter if we live or die because there's no real point to it all? You know, what happens to someone when they do the wrong thing? Are they fine as long as they get away with it? Do they have some kind of higher power or higher authority they have to answer to? Is there an afterlife at all? And how is that impacting what they're doing with their life and what they're working for? And do they even know why they think that that kind of afterlife exists? And ultimately, it can help us to talk to them about how we as, as finite, limited human beings, how do we know what is true in a world full of truth claims, of people saying they have the truth, they know what it is, and this is what you need to follow. This is how you need to think and believe. You know, how do they know, or why do they think, that what they think is true is really worth trusting? And again, that should drive us to believe and ask, why do we believe what we believe? And so when we understand how someone is thinking, then we can show them how God's word has answers for how to th understand the beginning of life and how realizing that God created everything and then gave us his word helps us to not only know what our you know, right and wrong thinking should be, but it also lets us know what our purpose in life is. And understanding those things, we understand that we aren't working for an afterlife, but there is an afterlife waiting for those who ask Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. We can share those things with these people and we can tailor it to them because we're going to know how to talk to them about, you know, God's grace and mercy or his justice and judgment. We're going to know how to just share things with them in a way that they are, you know, maybe missing the mark or misunderstanding things and they need to hear the truth spoken in a way that reveals that what they are believing is not consistent with reality. And the more we understand what they think, the better we can share that truth with them. So let's just wrap this up with atheism, right? We've, we've built a profile of the atheistic worldview. And as I said, it's a very bare bones, very surface level understanding, but it is an accurate representation of what atheists believe. So there is no creator and everything about existence itself, whether it's the existence of the universe or life on the planet Earth, it's all random, it's all up to chance. 
Because of that, we know that we have no higher purpose in this life because there is nothing higher than us. We likewise know that that we can't really know truth because there's no higher standard for truth than what we think and how how our brain chemicals work together to give us what we say is true and maybe it's true but we don't really know we just have to realize that well i think this is true and these people think this is true so i guess it's true hopefully but we can't really know in an atheistic worldview likewise just like with truth atheism struggles to make a moral claim because while they say that you know doing good is right they they can't explain why it's right or why good is good to do or why evil is bad to do they they have kind of cause and effect to look at well when we do good it makes good things happen when we do bad it hurts people but they can't explain why it's good to make people happy and why it's bad to hurt people you know if you know why can't we live by a might makes right society why can't we say if i'm strong enough to take it from you if i am clever enough to kill you to take your stuff then i should why don't we live in that society? Why do no societies want to function in that way? And we might say, oh, well, they fall apart. Well, yes, they do. But why is it bad if they fall apart? See, again, we can't make moral claims within atheism because we can't appeal to any kind of higher standard or prove that a good thing is actually good or that good things are what we should attain to. And then finally, all of that is to say that everything started randomly life is just kind of what we make of it and then we die and that's all there is to it nothing goes beyond the physical we don't persist you know our minds don't go on it's just when our brains turn off all of us turns off and now you know i want to say that atheism isn't wrong because of how bleak it is it's not wrong because it's hopeless if that's true then that is how we should live we should live according to the truth but as christians we want to give them the true truth. We want to give them the gospel. We want to share with them what life is really all about. And here is just some ways that we might use our understanding of atheists to give them the gospel. So we could start by sowing some doubts in their minds about their foundational belief on how everything started from nothing. And, you know, I... I'll link an article in the show notes that talks about this idea that we know that God exists because everything that begins has a beginner. So, for example, if you see a ball rolling down the street, you know that a ball didn't suddenly just appear and start rolling. You know that someone made that ball. You know that someone transported that ball. And you know that someone put that ball in a way that it would be rolling, whether a child kicked it, whether wind itself blew it. Everything that is happening had something else started, right? Everything is about cause and effect. Whatever we see happening was caused by something else. And so we can talk to them about how God is the original cause. He is the uncaused cause. No one created God. No one started him existing. So he is the one who is the self-existent. He is the I am. And he is the one that got that ball rolling, who started you know, the, the clock on time. He made the space and he made the stuff that goes in it. So we can, you know, that's not going to save them by believing that, but that can sow seeds of doubt as they start to think through, well, maybe this part of my worldview doesn't hold up to reality. And then from there, or just, you know, differently, we can explain to them 
why we only have morality because of a lawgiver. You know, I talked, you know, that's why I talked so much about how they can't make moral claims because they don't have a higher standard, but because they inherently know that there is, you know, ultimate good and there is ultimate evil, we can share with them where that actually comes from. And it's not because our brains fire in such a way to make us think that. And from there, that's when we can really start sharing the gospel. And those things aren't necessary, but they can help. But when we're talking to an atheist, we can talk to them about how what they do actually matters. They were created with a purpose. They were created under a set of guidelines and laws that God set up and that every day of their life, they have broken those. You know, whether it's lying to their parents, whether it's stealing, you know, a piece of candy from their siblings growing up, whether it's looking at a man or woman to lust after them, you know, whether it's on the street, whether it's within pornography, whatever it is, you know, whether it's, you know, if it's getting angry, you know, Jesus said that to get angry is to commit murder in your heart. So we have all broken the law of God. And so because God is a good judge, he's not going to say, oh, you murdered an entire family. Well, I see that you also donated blood and you, you know, you get, you know, you gave a sandwich to a homeless man once. So I'm going to let you off. No, God is a good and perfect judge. He is going to punish evil because it's evil and it must be punished. That is how the law works. And so because of that, there is no hope for us on our own. There is nothing we can do to be good enough to outdo the evil that we have done. But God sent Jesus Christ. He came, you know, God came as a man. He, he came in human flesh. He lived among us. He lived a perfect life. No law breaking, no sin on his part. He was hung on the cross so that he could pay the penalty of our sin instead of us. Because God is a good judge and the law must be satisfied. You know, punishment must be given for crime. And so we were sitting there in the courtroom and God said, I see that you are guilty of these. But Jesus Christ then came into that law room and he said, no, no, I will take the punishment in their place. And he could because he didn't have any of his own crimes to pay for. So he took all of God's anger, all of God's wrath, all of that punishment for our sins on himself. And if we ask Jesus Christ to save us, if we ask him to save us from our sins, and if we believe that he can because we believe that he is God and that he was perfect and that he alone is the way to eternal life, he alone is the only way to have our sins forgiven. If we ask him to save us from our sins, then he tells us that he will, that he will take our punishment in his place. And in exchange, we get his righteousness. We get to live with God forever as though we had never broken the law, as though we had never sinned or done any wrong. We can explain that to those people. We can explain that to an atheist about how, you know, all this works together and why it matters. And if it's true, then by the grace of God, they're going to see that it's true. Not because we are convincing, not because we are clever or, or debated them into heaven, but because we were able to be good tools of God to reveal the truth to them. And that's why these questions matter. They allow us to talk to these people of any religion, of any belief system. By understanding what they believe, we can talk to them about the gospel in a way that makes sense to them, but ultimately our goal and desire is to lead them to the cross. And what's really cool about this is if we're thinking about it in terms of these five questions, then, you know, when they get saved, you know, they can realize that salvation, you know, Jesus Christ, he's not a get out of hell free card. We not only have God's wrath removed from us, we not only have Christ's righteousness placed on us, we not only get the Holy Spirit who helps us to keep growing, 
But because of the Holy Spirit especially, we get to live the purposeful life that God has always had for us. We get to live in a way that is serving him and his people, just like Paul talked about, right? He became a slave to all for the gospel, and we can live that same life. We no longer have to live for ourselves, for pleasure, for, you know, entertainment or being really successful or whatever it is that we thought we needed to live for and what our purpose was before we had Jesus Christ. We can share with an atheist or anyone that because Christ saves them, they can now live their life with purpose, knowing with confidence where they are going. And it's not because any works that they do, it's not because they're good enough, but because Jesus Christ alone was good enough in their place. So let me just conclude this by saying that, you know, these questions are not meant to be all-encompassing. And answering them doesn't tell us everything about what an individual person or even an individual religion believes. The whole point is for it to give us insight into the beliefs of others. So I will have these five questions written in the show notes along with some links to different articles and podcast episodes that you might be interested in. Um, in the future, if if you are you know interested, let me know. I would love to do, you know, apply these questions to Protestants, you know, what we believe. I've done studies on Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims. Uh, so just let me know. You know, I'm, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give, you know, God's people whatever they may need to keep growing in maturity and to keep loving and serving Jesus Christ in everything that they do. So that'll be it for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Onward in the Faith. Remember that this is a listener-supported ministry, so if you would like to support what I do, you can uh, follow links in the show notes where you can give a one-time donation or support me every month. And that support has gone into, you know, being able to pay for the equipment I need and the hosting fees and things like that. But with all that said, I hope that this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ. Thanks for sticking around till the end of the episode. Uh, so I just want to explain kind of basically what's been going on in terms of the audio quality as well as uh, Onward in the Faith in general. Uh, if you are part of my mailing list, uh, you may know that I have been really looking at starting a YouTube channel now in order to make Onward in the Faith more accessible to more people, as well as add a different kind of quality to the content I create. And so when I was recording my last episode on the soul, um, what it my mic apparently uh, went bad on me because I got a new microphone stand to hold my mic for when I'm recording on video, and I let my little girls play with it, and not really sure what happened, but the end result was that it sounded pretty terrible. So for this episode, I actually tried my hand at recording video for the first time, and I had to actually record this episode two and a half times. The first time I recorded, everything just kind of went wrong, and it was just basically unusable in terms of audio and even kind of the shot that I had for video. So then I went to record it a second time. I got about 25 minutes in and realized that I forgot to hit record on my nicer quality audio recording device that I typically use for the podcast. So then I restarted that again. I got my recorder started recording. I got my video set up. I got to the end of it. I went to go pull the audio from my recorder and realized that the microphone I have is designed to be about six inches from my face, 
but in terms of getting video to look nice, I had it about a foot away or so. And so the audio of it had kind of a weird hiss going on, and my voice sounded kind of flat. And so this episode was actually uh, me basically running out of time to re-record an episode for a third time. And so uh, the audio for this is actually just straight from my phone that I used uh, to record the video portion of this, which once again will not be released because... um, you know, it's been a learning experience, and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to use the the video I shot, but I at least wanted to start getting my hand um, trained in recording as well as the editing process. So I appreciate anyone who uh, stuck around for the end of this discussion. I hope that it's been useful to you, and hopefully next time I will get everything figured out and we can just keep on with some good-sounding audio and hopefully some good-looking video. <laughs>